Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reborn podcast, the show designed to help you keep a pulse on the fast-changing world of brick and mortar. As the world reopens and operators race to meet the rising expectations and demands of experience-driven post-COVID consumers, it's more important than ever to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends and technologies that will shape the future. In each episode, we'll interview successful operators, subject matter experts, and leading thought leaders who will share their insight to help you prepare yourself and your organization for what lies ahead. Here's your host, Bobby Marhamat, CEO of Radiant. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Craig Patterson, who is the founder, co-editor in chief of Retail Insider. Craig, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know how busy things can get. So again, thank you for spending some time with us in the audience. So before we get started, Craig, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, yes. I'm the uh, founder and co-editor-in-chief of a Canadian retail industry publication called Retail Insider. It's the most read publication in Canada for the retail industry. So uh, we don't cover the United States, but uh, certainly have an eye to international news. I started Retail Insider about 10 years ago. I was actually a lawyer. I didn't have a lot of retail <laughs> experience before that. I was also working with homeless youth part-time at Covenant House. So I had quite a different career, but I did have an interest in the retail industry. And over the past decade, I guess I built some expertise just uh, having started a blog, which became a national news publication here in Canada. That's awesome. That's awesome. Tell us how you got, you said you started about 10 years ago. How did you get started? It was kind of almost by accident. A friend of mine said, uh, why don't you start a blog? Because I was always talking about retail and what I was seeing happening. This was in Vancouver at the time, and I live in Toronto now. But I don't want to say it was by accident, but it was just on a whim. It was something that uh, was meant to just be a hobby, I guess, basically, to uh, be an outlet of creativity. And it really did pay off. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. It was also a lot of hard work, I have to say. I, I, there was times where I was banging my head against the wall, uh, even literally. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Anything you start is definitely, definitely hard. What does Retail Insider do now? I know you talk a lot about retail, but what is your focus? Well, I guess it's almost easier to say what we don't focus on, but we don't do so much automotive in terms of retail. We do certainly do some grocery, but a lot of uh, what we focus on is in the areas of, uh, say, fashion, jewelry, footwear, you know, retailers that you'll see in your local mall, as well as uh, we have certainly expanded into some food service reporting as well. Uh, we're seeing that in a retail space. And we're seeing, for example, in shopping centers, a situation where we're having more restaurant tenants moving in than, say, we would with traditional fashion retailers. So retail is certainly changing, and that's something that we're looking at as well. So we do look at the trends and what uh, is to come. And with the pandemic, things shifting online and whatnot, we have seen quite a disruption in retail. So we're navigating that and trying to report on the, the best that we can. Uh, we launched a magazine this year on top of the news publication that we have. And uh, we'll continue to uh, look at things that we can explore in terms of launching, which could even include in-person events in 2023. We're still in discussion. So it's it's too new to probably, you know be able to say anything that's going to be concrete at this point. But always up for new ideas and things that are fun. I mean, you've got to have fun with what you're doing uh, in business, I think, uh, because then you're passionate about it and will continue to do it. Oh, 100%, 100%. And so you have the publication, of course, you have the magazine, you run a podcast, you also do consulting for clients, or is it really just giving that information one way? Ah, a little bit. I've certainly done some consulting, and it's actually been around real estate development quite a bit in the Vancouver market. I haven't had a lot of time to do that. That's one of the big things is things have gotten really, really busy, but certainly have done that uh, before. I've even done some work in the uh, area of consulting and litigation. There was a lawsuit. I don't want to say who it was with, but it was a very large retailer in Canada, and I was involved on the landlord side of something. This retailer wasn't paying rent, so hopefully they never find out I was involved. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome, awesome. So you hear a lot about retail. You talk a lot about retail. What are some of the biggest stories you're covering at Retail Insider right now? Well, we're just looking at such things as the redevelopment of our shopping centers in Canada, because we've got these low one or two level shopping centers that are now far more valuable for the land than the actual buildings that are there in terms of leasing to tenants. So we're seeing redevelopment of these shopping centers with residential around them. In, in some parts of Canada, real estate is very expensive, kind of like where you are in San Francisco. So yep. uh, land is so expensive that you say you look at a Stanford shopping center and say, well, geez, we need to put housing around this because we're going to make millions of dollars being the landlord that is uh, in intensifying that site. So that is certainly one of the big news stories that we're looking at. Also, international entrance into the Canadian market. We continue to see retailers from around the world looking at Canada as being a place uh, to enter. And that I find to be quite fascinating because we're getting some retailers here that aren't even in the United States yet uh, that are from other international markets. So continuing to watch that as well as some innovations that we're seeing here, there'll be a revival of a uh, discount department store chain that we had years ago here in Canada that's going to come back. So we try to really follow the trends as well as who's doing what in terms of whether or not it's a new retailer coming into the country or if it's an existing uh, company which is doing something quite interesting in Canada. And there's a lot happening, I'm being told, in terms of retail leasing and otherwise here. So there's going to be a lot of news coming down the pipeline as we head into the fall. That's awesome. As you cover kind of the bigger stories and changes in retail. I know we've, of course, gone through some, a bunch of changes here over the last few years. What are some of the things that you've witnessed and, and you know, either on the technology side or growth side or location, like altogether, what are some changes that you've seen? Well, we've really seen a shift to online shopping. We've also seen a situation where after lockdowns, people have gone back into stores and shop. So for sure, there is a demand for physical retail, but there's no question that consumers over the course of the pandemic, we had very extended lockdowns, including in, in Toronto, where I'm located. I think it was one of the most lockdown places in the world in terms of the time period where retailers and restaurants weren't able to be open. So during that time, many consumers formed the habit and got used to shopping online, whether or not that was for, say, a fashion item or for the home or or food, Uber Eats and whatnot. So consumers got used to doing that. And now we're seeing a situation where retailers are having to address that. Uh, there's one retail concept up here in Canada. It's kind of almost like Amazon Go, where you can go into the store. There's no person there behind a till, but you can buy and leave. It's called aisle 24. And the founder of this business said, well, the reason that this business is going to work and is already working, there's a few locations open, is because we got, as consumers, got used to having a digital experience. And now that digital experience is being translated into the store. So the technology is integrating with the brick and mortar. I think it's really quite fascinating because we will continue to see technology be an important part of retail. But as human beings, we don't want to just sit at home all day. I mean, most of us anyways, hopefully, yeah. which to me means that physical experiences and retail and whatnot will continue to be important. Consumers have certainly shifted spending to experiences, at least for now. But we saw some luxury brands here, at least in Canada. I, you know, This is where I talked to a lot of retailers. Some of the luxury stores here were saying, even during the pandemic, they were doing higher sales than they were before the pandemic, Yeah, which blew me away. So you know, some consumers had money and they were spending it, treating themselves. Really quite fascinating to see. And we saw far fewer bankruptcies here and retailers and other businesses related closing than we expected. We expected things to be absolutely catastrophic. And yes, there was certainly some challenges, but it wasn't anything close to what we had anticipated. And of course, things aren't finished. We may go into a seventh wave. We don't know what's going to happen for the fall. But nevertheless, I do certainly have some optimism that you know the world is going to go on and that uh, things will be just fine, hopefully, or at least we won't you know see things that are too catastrophic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's two kind of things that we've seen. Of course, the convergence of online and offline, like you said, 
and being able to use one platform for payment, for buying, et cetera, from a customer standpoint. So that's one of the trends that has been, you know, kind of prevalent really with the folks that we've been working with. And the second, which is super interesting to me, is there was an article saying about 8% of online spend has gone back to the store. So high level, you know, you see some of that start to go back as people think about kind of experiences in location, et cetera. But I think the bigger notable part is like now you have even DC brands, direct-to-consumer brands that are really looking at opening up experiential type centers all across kind of different markets that they think they can capture that audience better. What has been your experience in D2C going into brick and mortar or online brands thinking about that brick and mortar strategy? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I think that some of these direct-to-consumer brands and the pure play online retailers that are looking at getting into brick and mortar, some of these eventually are going to become the household names that kind of like what we currently have, I think. So I think we're going to see a new generation of retailers coming up. And I think that the pandemic may have almost helped with this because we had a situation where there was, I guess, a little here in Canada, again, I can say, but I think in the United States, it was similar. Some landlords have been in a bit of a panic and we're actually even targeting some of these direct-to-consumer brands to open physical stores. And we're, say, only charging a percentage rent or we're creating a situation where rent would be extremely reduced for a time period and then may graduate upwards over a period of time, whether or not that's you know an increase in year one, year two, and year three as they figure that retail sales will rebound. And I think things have rebounded much faster than most expected. But I think for sure we're going to be seeing more of these direct-to-consumer brands opening physical stores. Before the pandemic, the International Council of Shopping Centers did a study. It was, I think, a North American study. I think the term they used was the halo effect. So what they found is that if a brand opened a physical location, a new first physical location in a market where it already had an online presence, they found that, of course, not only were sales done in that physical location, but there was actually a boost in online sales in that market as well, which is showing that there's a symbiotic relationship between online and physical retail that I don't think can be ignored. So I thought that study was really quite interesting from the International Council of Shopping Centers because it spoke to consumer behavior as well as the fact that, you know, even if there is a rise in online shopping, this is not the end of physical retail. It just means that retail is changing. And one of the biggest constants, if we want to say in the retail industry, is constant change. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So in retail, of course, there's two different groups that you try to try to build, you know, more kind of content information for. Uh, One is, of course, the operators of the retail organizations. The other is the retail professionals. On the retail professional side, what are some, you know, stories or some resources that you would recommend uh, professionals following? Resources? I mean, well, hey, follow Retail Insider if you want. Of course. <laughs> but but certainly, you know, out there, I mean, I really like WWD, Retail Dive, there's Retail Wire. There's a few thought leadership publications out there as well as news publications that, that are really interesting. You can get, you know, retail design publications if you want to see what the latest is going to be in terms of uh, what we're seeing in stores. Uh, we're seeing some really interesting innovations. We're seeing experiential concepts being developed as well. So I think some of the trade publications and niche publications uh, out there are really, really useful. You know, National Retail Federation has lots of information out there as well. I think it's important for people to keep updated uh, in the industry if this is something they're interested in and as part of their profession to keep on track of what's happening. Because I think that the consumer has been shifting as we've seen an increase in online shopping and otherwise, and just an adoption of digital technologies uh, across the board, getting the new iPhone and whatnot. We have expectations that we didn't have before in terms of speed in our phones or, say, delivery. I mean, one of the next big things we're going to be seeing here is is delivery, whether or not that's grocery or... uh, you know, other items. And uh, that may end up being drones because delivering items to a person's home isn't new, but we certainly saw an increase of that during the pandemic, especially when stores actually had to be closed in certain places. 
But now I, I think that there's going to be a race for the, the fastest and the best delivery, uh, whether or not that's grocery or otherwise. And, and I know we just ran a story in Retail Insider about grocery delivery here in Canada. And it's quite fascinating that, uh, you know, we were looking at, you know, three to eight days for grocery delivery a few years ago. And now we expect, uh, you know, three hours or even less. Uh, there's some saying 30 minutes. I don't know how they can do that because you have to still pick the groceries. It takes me longer just to do that myself <laughs> if I'm in a store. But uh, it seems like we're seeing these innovations here come about. And it's almost like you know tech firms are going to be leading aspects of retail moving forward here as we see an integration of technology into the retail industry, whether or not that's within physical stores or that online or, or omni-channel experience. Absolutely. As you think about the sector in general, the segment in general, as we think about retail and some of the changes that have happened and some of the changes that are going to happen here in 2022, three beyond, what are some of the things that you would suggest as people or operators are thinking about how to make my business adaptable, how to make it kind of future proof, et cetera? What are some things that, and advice that you would give? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's really looking at where things are going. I think looking at best practices around uh, digital adoption and trying to remove friction from the retail experience is going to be really important. We were just talking with a technology firm here in Canada that's launched. How would I describe this? It's a technology that basically will turn a store into one where a person can doesn't have to wait in line at a till. They can just pay on an app and go which is quite interesting, or, or they'll have you know almost a grab-and-go technology in the store. It's in development right now, but what we're seeing, again, is these tech firms that are really trying to make the physical experience maybe not as convenient as the online experience. That could be quite difficult to do, but something close to that and something that consumers will have their expectations met. So really, I think that you know, looking at, say, some best-case examples in places like South Korea, where I think they're a little bit ahead of us in retail, in North America now, I, I don't think the retail innovation we're seeing, there's certainly some there, Amazon and otherwise, but a lot of the innovation we're seeing now is overseas. So, you know, perhaps following some of the even news and trade publications over there, like Inside Retail from Australia is English language and, you know, covers Asia as well. Almost the same name as my publication, just reversed. But certainly, I think just getting to know and understand what the future of retail is going to be, which I think is going to have that hybrid digital physical is going to be experiential if there is a physical element to it and try to remove that consumer friction as well. So looking at best cases, I think is going to be important as well as innovating and trying to solve problems. Uh, can It's not always easy. You don't always want to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes you want to look at what your peers are doing, but nevertheless, there's got to be sometimes tailored solutions that are uh, proprietary as well. Absolutely. What, um, you know, as you've been kind of interacting, whatever you've been kind of seeing being written in yourself, also kind of writing about the industry, what are some of the favorite stories that you've written or seen written here kind of in the near term, if you will? I've actually written about a few store closures in terms of, say, department stores. This mm -hmm. is something that we've seen in uh, across North America. And that's certainly not new. I mean, in the 1990s, we had many, many more department stores. But yeah. here in Canada, we've only got one left in terms of being a traditional department store player. The United States has a handful, Macy's, Dillard's, Belk. But uh, we've only got one. We've got the Hudson Bay Company up here. So certainly that has been one of the bigger news stories that we're seeing. On top of that, the innovation coming out of Walmart in Canada, as well as the United States, but we've got our own uh, tech incubator and innovation in, uh, incubator here. Uh, Blue Labs, I believe is what it's called. And we're really seeing innovation from some of these bigger players here that I think is quite fascinating. Again, Walmart trying to maintain its market share, while at the same time, Costco, which I think is actually more successful in Canada than the United States. We've got more stores per capita with incredibly high sales. We're seeing retailers, again, like Costco doing extremely well. And we're seeing Ikea, which is innovating here. It's, it's doing things that it's not doing elsewhere, like 
It's got you know these small digital hubs and shopping centers where people can come in and also design rooms in their home, and they don't have to travel to a big IKEA store. They don't really have to go that far. Uh, and to continue talking about IKEA, they just opened the uh, first major downtown store in, in North America in downtown Toronto a few weeks ago. It's a lot of fun. I went there and I got meatballs and uh, had uh, frozen yogurt on the weekend because they've got a cafe component there as well, which I love. But you could also get furniture and they'll deliver it to your home. So they're really trying to address that whole tech situation that I was talking about where yeah. you can go into the store or showroom, whatever you want to call it, look at something. You can order it on your phone online. They'll have it delivered. You can uh, take it to the till and they'll uh, have it packaged or you can carry it. I mean, it's kind of up to you, but uh, I think they've really addressed retail. So a few interesting stories out there. Again, international entrants coming into the market, uh, ranging from Psycho Bunny, which is a men's fashion brand, to uh, new luxury brands uh, that are coming in. Uh, new you know, first-to-market retailers like Kith, which is a very youthful brand that will be opening one of its only stores in the world uh, in a major Canadian city. We're seeing luxury brands like Ferragamo is going to be opening a first in North America concept store in downtown Toronto. So I just get really excited by some of the stuff because I like to follow it, be at the tech or in my case, one of the areas that I'm particularly interested in is luxury retail. I'm not even sure why I'm not necessarily a luxury shopper myself, but that highly elevated experience as well as the storytelling around the brands, I think is quite interesting. And it also fascinates me to see people spending so much money on items that they probably don't really need to be spending money on. You know, if you're in San Francisco going to Union Square, you're going to see, you know, Neiman Marcus and Gucci and Prada and Chanel and all of these very, very expensive stores. And you got to look at who's shopping in these stores. And and it's really quite interesting to see the demographics that are, you know, embracing luxury shopping. And and on the West Coast, it's quite often an Asian demographic. And this is something we're seeing around the world. I think that the rise of China as an economic superpower is uh, also resulting in a situation where luxury brands do have to cater to a particular demographic that is buying more than any other demographic at this point at the luxury range anyways. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Are you seeing one of the things that you said is, you know, the mall format, you're down to kind of one in Canada. And again, like as you said, we're in a handful here in the United States. Do you see kind of smaller footprint stores emerging? Do you see some of these kind of larger brands coming back with new brands? Or, or what's, what's the thought there? It really depends. I mean, in terms of department stores, here in Canada, we're seeing the Hudson Bay department stores downsizing a little bit in terms of square footage. And that's even within their existing footprints. So you'll have a store which will have now less retail space, but some space in the back is being dedicated to shipping and receiving. So they're really beefing up the online orders. So having a bit more storage space and a little bit less retail space is considered to be strategic. Also, you know, some of these big stores can be quite overwhelming. We have a department store in downtown Toronto here that's almost a million square feet. And that is a really big store. I was actually shopping there on the weekend and it can get a little bit overwhelming. The men's department alone is about 120,000 square feet. And I went there to shop. I was buying some summer clothing and I thought, this is really a lot of work. <laughs> There's too much selection. Like, I think there is such thing as too much yeah. selection for certain things. So yeah, but at the same time, having more space presents an opportunity to do something cool. And yeah. that's something that I think retailers forget. Macy's is not a cool department store, even though they just announced that Toys R Us is going to be coming in as a concession, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> but you look at stores like, say, Selfridges in London, which always wins awards. Uh, it was actually Canadian-owned until recently, and now it's sold to Central Group in Thailand. But Selfridges has a skateboard park, and it's got a movie theater. Yeah. And it's got really interesting things. And what we saw in department stores in decades past is that they had services and they had you know multiple restaurants and had 
things that were really interesting to consumers. And it may not necessarily have been that these were huge revenue generating parts of the store, but nevertheless, they brought people into the store to shop and overall that created retail sales. So I have some retail sales numbers from some of the department stores we had here in Canada in decades past, like say Simpsons, which had a large flagship store in downtown Toronto. We had some of the best department stores in the world decades ago, even into the 70s. We had Eaton's and Simpson's, which were doing higher sales than Macy's on Herald Square in New York City. And our Simpson's store here in 1978 was doing about $180 million a year in sales. And that was in dollars back then, which is about seven or about $800 million in today's dollars. Well, now the Hudson Bay department store in that same location where Simpson's used to be in downtown Toronto is doing about 180 to $190 million now in sales. So, and we're talking in today's dollars. So it's really showing just as one example. The department store isn't doing the same sales that it was, and it's because it doesn't have that interesting stuff that's in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that, I mean, there's other reasons too. There's increased competition and whatnot, but the fact is, consumers. So, you know, the department store isn't as interesting. Also, consumers don't need department stores. I mean, the internet is almost a new department store. Years ago, you'd yeah. go to a department store to discover brands and you know to see new and cool things, and and now. Things have changed. I mean, uh, you don't have to go to the department store to discover brands. You can go on your phone and look at Instagram or the internet. You know, as an example, you've got uh, shopping centers themselves, which are almost the new department stores. So, and then you've got department stores, which are adding concessions and becoming shopping centers. It's it's really, <laughs> there's a blurring of the lines I'm seeing, at least here in Canada, because our department stores and our large format, uh, well, our department store chain and our large format fashion retailer, Holt Renfrew, certainly dedicate a lot of square footage to uh, concessions, which is basically a leased space for a brand within the store. And we seem to be doing that more than I've seen the American department stores. Like I know Saks Avenue, Neiman Marcus definitely has concessions, but you know, for Louis Vuitton and Chanel, but not to the same degree that you see here in Canada, where we almost have shopping centers within our department stores, like you would see more in, say, Asia. Or in uh, parts of Europe, I would say, as well, with some of the better stores there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Craig, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for, for sharing some time with us. Before I let you go, any other items that you want to talk about retail that I forgot to cover? Oh, I mean, I could go on forever about retail. <laughs> uh, there's, just, there's so much to talk about. But I think that for, say, retail professionals that are listening to this, I'd say just continue to keep updated on what's happening. Be open-minded because that's something that I've had to learn to do because retail is changing. Fashion is changing. We're seeing a real lack of formality. And, and this was something that we saw before the pandemic. I mean, if you look at brands like Balenciaga and uh, Givenchy, they were certainly not doing hoodies and sneakers uh, when I was a kid. I'm in my uh, late yeah. 40s. But... <laughs> <laughs> but now they are. And it just blows me away. And funny enough, it was a fashion icon here in Canada, Jeannie Becker, that had told me, you know, you've got to be open minded. Again, one of those constants around fashion is change. And, uh, you know, we didn't dress, this, you know, this, the same in the 70s as we do now, maybe some people, but, um, <laughs> you know, th things, things do change, right? And I think being open minded is really important, as well as being educated and just keeping up with what's happening with trends and keeping up with what the consumer is expecting. I think that's going to be one of the hardest things is to know what consumers are wanting because the consumer, I think, is changing very quickly. And that's partly to do even just with, you know, the iPhone in your hand. We expect things to be fast and convenient and the physical retailers are not able to keep up with what consumers are expecting. 
those retailers could lose out. And I think we are over the next few years going to see a number of retail chains fail because they're not going to innovate enough. And we're going to see some of those direct-to-consumer brands uh, coming forward and expanding and actually finding success. So it's going to be a really exciting time in retail, I think, over the next few years. Definitely keep watching what's going to be happening in whatever market that you're in. I think keeping an international perspective is important. I said that, you know, I've got a Canadian publication, but it's going to be important to know what's happening again in South Korea and places where there is actual major innovation happening in retail. Certainly try to keep a finger on the pulse there. I know some consultants and and even high-level retailers will travel around the world to see what's happening. If that's possible, I know that we're in this situation with a pandemic and flights and it's a nightmare with some of our airports. But being educated, I think, is really important one way or another to see what's happening in the retail industry and uh, uh, you know, just onwards, upwards, and, and, and try to keep optimistic and positive because I think yeah. that's really important in life as well and in business. 100%. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Craig, thank you so much. Appreciate your time here. And thanks for spending some time with our listeners today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a good one.